Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm here again with Yusip Roine. What's up? Hey, Toby, I am using my Elgato Stream Deck, that's the small device, the physical device with the buttons. And one of the buttons I've configured to act as a timer for our podcast, but now the button is not doing anything. So it's a great device, <laughs> I, I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, an amazing device because it has this one button that I really need and now it's not doing anything. So perhaps I need to debug that later. But what I've been up to lately is... Uh, I submitted my executive MBA thesis this past weekend. So I'm not fully done with school, but the biggest, most significant project as part of my studies has now been completed. It's submitted. I'm waiting for somebody to actually read it at school, perhaps grading it and, and giving me some, some verbal and, and descriptive feedback. And when I did this, I actually went through our notes because I think I mentioned the thesis project a couple of times. So I had a quick look since we use OneNote for our, our show notes. I did a search for thesis and I did find a couple of quick mentions of this. So the timeline for me has been that in November 2019, I thought of the topic for the thesis. So the, the guidance is it needs to be 35 to 60 pages or so, and it needs to withstand academic inspection so it cannot just be whatever comes up to your mind but you actually have to have sources and, and theories and frameworks and i thought ai would be a good topic but then the coronavirus pandemic covid19 thing happened and in april 2020 i came up with a new idea and that was about the time that i sort of had to commit to something and i came up with an idea on organizational advocacy so most people think of developer relations or technical evangelism or, or um, cloud advocates and similar. And organizational advocacy here is sort of the umbrella term for all of these. And then in May this year, 2020, I, I locked that down. In July, I opened Word. I used the old school style, start, run, winword.exe. And I did a bunch of interviews, a survey, and between August and October, I've wrote a lot. And in October 30th this year, so that was last weekend, I was done. So nothing else to add, no T's to cross, no I's to dot anymore. Now I'm surprised because I, I feel lightweight, but yet at the same time, I feel like- What are you gonna burn the time on doing now? Exactly. What am I going to do next? Even though I still have some lectures at school, but this was the main thing for these two years of school I'm doing on the side as I work. So thankfully Christmas is fast approaching. So that means I get to hopefully purchase some gadgets for myself and keep me busy um, through the Maybe holidays. Maybe you need to get a, a new stream deck. They, they have the larger model. This is the, I think this is the large or whatever model it is. It has, let me see, 15 buttons. I think the larger model has 20 or 25. So perhaps you need to have the more expensive model to have the countdown timer to actually work. Yeah, and then, then you can have two countdown timers. So if one fails, you have a redundancy, right? 
Exactly, and I have space. There's on always the a reason to get more gadgets. Exactly. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I might need to reboot my my PC for a change. Perhaps that fixes it. Otherwise, I, I have to code something myself. So, long story short, that's what's up for me lately. How about for you? That sounds uh, pretty nice to be done with that. We we've talked a lot um, about your thesis over the the past couple of months and. Yeah, I can imagine the feeling to to get that off of your shoulders and now just wait for for the results kind of. So for me, one thing that I finally pulled the trigger on is getting a um, indoor bike trainer. So I, I now have a fairly premium indoor trainer, which is pretty nice. And gamification is really some next level stuff with these trainers now. You, you kind of work out in 3D, you can connect it to your TV, your laptop, your tablet, whatever you want. And you can ride with friends. So I, I've already connected to a couple of friends in the community. And I have some, some friends here in my circles at home who also ride. Uh, there's this app or, or site called Swift. So you can like virtually ride or run if you do that with other people. So I really like how they've gamified this. And workouts are incredibly fun. You can work out with friends. So while someone else is in their garage on their bike, I am in my home office on my bike. And we can talk and we can chat and we can bike together because sometimes when you go on the bike, it can be for a couple of hours. It's not always the 30 minute workouts. Sometimes you go maybe for four hours for a really long ride. And it's a lot more fun to do that with someone. However, in Sweden right now, it is damp. It is wet. There's a lot of leaves on the road. And foremost, I only have time to really get on the bike in the early mornings or the late nights when I'm not working and it's pitch black dark outside. So I cannot go on the on the road bike safely. So this is a perfect thing. Um, I'm super happy with it. And I like this. Um, you, you don't just sit at home on a spinning bike and look into the, the brick wall for, for 30 minutes, but you actually interact with other people, albeit virtually. But I guess this is the theme of 2020 anyway. So yeah, I'm, I'm already getting the miles into my legs and I'm, I'm feeling it uh, and it feels great. So that's my main focus has been you know, gearing up and, and mounting my indoor trainer. And yeah, now it's just about getting those exercises done. So whenever somebody says to me that they have an indoor bike, I, I imagine in my head, you know, those 1985 models with the, uh, with the super heavy industrial grade metal built things that only has like one lever for, for uh, resistance between one and 10, and it doesn't tell you anything. So this sounds like something that I really need to get into. So I'm, I'm anxious to hear how, how it's working out for you in the coming weeks. And as I said, Christmas is coming and this, this might just be something that I, I didn't know that I need, but I want. I, I think you need it. And I, I think we can find the integration points with your Steam Deck thing. Oh yeah. So there's a button you can press and then the bike trainer kind of starts up and, and the the music starts to uh, to come on into the room. So you kind of get in the workout mode and uh, I'm, I'm sure there's integration points. Exactly, excellent. So today's episode is news in Azure, November, 2020. And we've done a couple of these uh, episodes where we sort of recap some of the recent announcements and updates that, that we feel are worth highlighting. So so without further ado, let's, let's uh, dive right into, uh, would you like to start with something, Toby? Yeah, so I've checked out a couple of the recent announcements and there's something in GA right now that is available. 
and that's uh, Azure policies to control the minimum TLS version of Azure storage. And why I find this interesting is I work a lot with Azure policy and regulatory compliance for everything that we run in the cloud. We want to stay on the latest version of TLS, but sometimes we don't want to kind of force disable everything if we have legacy solutions running on an earlier version. So now with this integration, it's pretty nice because we can use Azure policy to audit for compliancy. And then we can um, go and ask or query the logs and say, hey, Azure monitor, check all Azure storage logs and see if there's any client application still using an earlier version of TLS than whatever we deem as accepted. So this now comes built in with Azure policy as well. So you can define policies to enforce the minimum TLS version. So when you deploy new resources, or if you have a resource and you kind of want to make an audit, you can use Azure policy to ensure you stay on the right side of that. So I like that. So this is now generally available. So you can start using this right now. And this is part of Azure policy. So I'm assuming it gives you the regular uh, actions and, and, and settings you can set for any policy, right? Yeah. All right. Sounds, sounds good. Uh, this always brings back memories from those times when we were busily setting up AD Federation services for different organizations 10 years ago or so. And then you would configure this custom uh, HTTPS certificate. And two years later, Microsoft would email you that, oh, we spotted this thing and TLS this and this version is not supported anymore. So perhaps it's time to visit that customer again and figure out how to update that, that certificate that nobody has touched in two years. Yeah. So for me, there's uh, two interesting announcements and I'm, I'm bundling these together. So two new data centers announced for Azure and one in Taiwan and another in Greece. The Taiwan one is uh, estimated to be available in 2024 and the Greece one in 2025. And I can't say that I, I would have needed one in either of these, these locations since I don't do business there. But what I feel is, is super interesting here is that for both of these announcements, Microsoft stated that they aim to upskill 200,000 people in the Taiwan region in the next four years and 100,000 people in the next five years for Greece, meaning that Microsoft often relies with partners, certifications, different learning programs to get people upskilled with Azure so that they can leverage and, and benefit from these new investments. So I find a lot of people. it's a lot of people. And that of course means a lot of new business for uh, many, many companies in the ecosystem. But I also feel that Azure is so rapidly uh, expanding now that will we see, let's say in the next 10 years that we will have a data center per country or, or multiple setups per country instead of having a few here and there, like we see in the, well, we've seen in the past couple of years in the European Union region. So those two were probably the, the big things to start with. What next? So next on my side is a feature that is currently in preview. And again, this kind of touches on Azure policy and this is Azure policy for Key Vault. And that now supports keys, secrets and certificates. And to give an example of that is policies like secrets should not be active for longer than the specified number of days. 
or secrets should have the content type set or secrets should have an expiration date set. Things like, uh, like these are not always the case. And sometimes you just create an Azure key vault and you throw stuff in there. You deploy it with an ARM template or from the CLI, but some of these settings might not be configured. And in my case, I might have hundreds of key vaults to manage, right? And there is no way I can go into each and every one of them and see what the status is of every secret. So now with Azure policy, I can kind of dictate the terms of the organization or management group or the subscription or specific resources and say, this is what I expect in my organization across all the key vaults or across a specific type of solution that I have. So you can kind of control this now with, again, Azure policies, and then you can kind of audit these things. So you can, as always with Azure policy, you can do audit or you can kind of enforce it. So if you start doing this, I would start to audit things. And then when you enable the audit flag, you will get a report saying, well, your compliance status dictates that you are now not compliant in these areas because your organization needs to have these things in place, but you do not because there is no content type on the secret or uh, for certificates. Uh, for example, their certificates should have the specified maximum validity period or should have a, an allowed key type um, like RSA, RHA, RSA, HSM, and stuff like that. So both for certificates and for keys and for secrets, there are different policies that are now built in. This is again in preview, uh, but if you do take a look at that, uh, you will now be able to explore this further and yeah, get better control, if you will, of the resources that you have. So I think that's a pretty important update if you kind of are in the Azure governance game and you, you wanna stay on in control of the things you have and, and ensure that you're really on top of the game. So this will help you there. So one of the habits that I often have is that if I'm doing a test, building something in a test subscription that I sort of know that I'm not going to need a week from now, I quite often in Key Vault, I select never to expire on this secret because it's so convenient. <laughs> so perhaps, perhaps I need to set this policy to remind me that perhaps you shouldn't select that option. I mean, if, if you do things in, in development and testing and if there's no immediate need for a, a secret to expire, that's totally fine. Production workloads, key rotation is super important. Uh, but I think that's actually a topic for an entire episode where we talk about managing secrets, key rotation, and different ways to do that. I, I vaguely recall back to episode number one that we did on Key Vault, and perhaps we need to visit that topic someday again. <laughs> So for me, the next one is moving from the data centers to something more local, the Azure modular, modular data center. This is hard to pronounce when you're not a native English speaker. And this complements the Azure space offerings that we got at Ignite this year. And the, the tagline here is Azure where you need it. So it's a self-contained data center unit that has a field transportable solution meaning that you get this huge container that you can haul in the middle of the desert or in Helsinki or Malmö, depending on your needs. And then you sort of plug it in to the network or you can keep it disconnected as well. And it, it is radio frequency shielded as well. So perhaps there's some anticipation here to, to have it in, in more hostile environments as well. There's no pricing. And I understand availability is sort of call us and let's have a chat. And if you have to ask for a price, you, you certainly cannot afford it that way. 
Yeah, and I kind of understand that. Uh, I haven't heard about many companies saying, I need an Azure data center on wheels, um, you know, um, but I, I can, I understand the use cases uh, or potential use cases for governments or big corporations that, you know, have super sensitive things. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow what happens in this area. I'm, I'm super thrilled about uh, learning more about that. And in the future, perhaps if I have my own garden, if I have enough space in there, I could sort of reserve a spot for my future Azure modular data center. It would be in here once I can afford it. You know, I, I recently read, or maybe that was during Ignite 2020, when, when Microsoft kind of pulled up a data center from under the sea, they had it, you know, submerged. So that's what I foresee in your garden that you have, you dig a, a big hole in the lawn and you put a data center there. And then you need like, uh, if you've seen the series Lost, now we're derailing here entirely. If you've seen the series Lost that started 2004, it was something called The Hatch. That was just a hole in the ground with stuff underneath. That's how I imagine your future garden. You open the hatch, oh. you go down, there's a data center. I'm, I'm so there. So I can already envision my kids playing on the garden, seeing this huge bulldozer approaching. Oh, that's here for the pool. Everybody gets excited. But then when the, when the hole has been dug, I go, well, actually, I'm putting my Azure modular data center in here. That's not for swimming. Yeah, it requires a lot of power to, uh, to keep track of all the IoT devices in your house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is perhaps something to plan now that my thesis is done. So what do you have on your list next? So I have another preview feature uh, that is as of today in preview, and that's uh, if you're working with AKS, the Visual Studio Code extension for Azure Kubernetes services uh, that enables you to use AKS Periscope and AKS Diagnostics directly in your dev workflow. So that really means is this is just a small tip and because I, I have worked a lot with AKS myself and I do use Visual Studio Code on a daily basis for a lot of my things. What I like here is the integration with uh, the AKS Periscope and the AKS Diagnostic, which you now get directly in VS Code. So without leaving VS Code, you can drill into your clusters. So if you have dev clusters, you have test clusters, which I did a lot then directly from that tool, from Visual Studio Code, without leaving it, you can actually now get the insights from Periscope and the diagnostics. So just a small extension uh, available in Visual Studio Code. So go check that out. Um, I really like it. So what about you? What's it? What's next? Uh, next, moving from the data centers and the, and the uh, modular ones to something more virtual, Soft delete for Azure file shares is now generally available in all regions. So soft delete basically is what it means. Uh, when a user deletes something, a file that's shared over an Azure file share, which then is configured on top of Azure storage account, it now allows you to undelete those files. So I, I had a quick look at the documentation and it says, consider this as a recycle bin for your Azure file shares. And I feel this is hugely beneficial. So this is generally available. It's not enabled by default though. So there's going to be a change. I think it was in November, no, sorry, in January 1st, 2021, that this will be enabled by default for new Azure file shares. So for now, you need to go through your file shares and start enabling this, should you want this uh, undelete feature and there's a setting also that, that you can set 
on how long do you want to keep those sub deletions in place before you do a hard delete. Right. That's a pretty good feature. So on, on my side, I have a, another one, which is again, a preview feature. And I think this is important. If you're a developer, if you work with Azure functions, then now you can generate a new function app from an open API specification. Now, if you're a dev, you might understand exactly what that means. And you're right. This is a way to automate all the kind of boilerplate for Azure functions. So if you're building an API and you already have an open, a, uh, open API spe specification, you can now go to, for example, VS Code, if you use that or uh, the, the command line, you can say, based on this definition file, create all the Azure functions for me, right? So whatever you have in the API, if it is described correctly according to the open a API standard, now Azure function project that, you, that you're setting up will contain the correct functions with the correct metadata and, and however they are supposed to be routed and whatever. So this is actually pretty impressive. And I, I did take a look at that and um, albeit a pretty simple open API spec file, you know, uh, in a matter of less than a minute, I had a project up and running with Azure function with the correct functions for whatever was in that API. So again, if you're a dev, you're working with Azure function, take a look at that. Now you can generate function apps based on that open API spec and that actually pretty spectacular. I, I really like this. Uh, and obviously we'll put this in the show notes so you can just click the link to, to get access to that as well. So open API specification, that used to be called Swagger specification, right? Uh, that, that could be the same name, yeah. Yeah, because the, when I got started with the, the API specifications in .NET, I, I constantly ran into Swagger this, Swagger that, and, and then later on it, it, it sort of evolved into open API. So that's perhaps also something we need to dive a little bit deeper in a future episode. So for me, the next one, this is super interesting. SQL Server IAAS agent extension is now available. And what it does, and there's plenty of documentation here, what it does is it allows you to manage SQL Server virtual machines from Azure portal. So once you enable this extension on one or more VMs, it then allows you to configure those SQL Server installations directly from Azure portal, instead of remoting first to the VM to fiddle something within SQL Server Management Studio, for example. So I had a quick look at the documentation because I do not have a single SQL VM running right now. And one of the things it does, it does automated patching, automated backups of databases, which is, which is hugely beneficial. But it also allows you to uh, configure licensing and SQL Server additions directly from Azure Portal. And this works in an automatic way. So you can enable this to automatically uh, install the extension when a new SQL Server VM is provisioned. And this worked before, but then that VM had to be based on an image from Azure Marketplace done by Microsoft. But now you can spin up your own VM, manually install SQL Server or use a script or use your own base image that has it. And then you can automatically have the agent extension for SQL Server kick in and light up those features in Azure Portal. All right, that sounds convenient. 
And I think that was all I had for November. I'm sure that we will be getting more during November, but did you still have something on your list? I have uh, two more things related to Azure Key Vaults that are, that are happening right now. So one is preview and the other is GA. So the preview feature is Azure role-based access control for Azure Key Vaults data plane authorization is now in preview. And if you've worked with Key Vault, you know you can create uh, like Key Vault access policies. So you say that this service principle or this user uh, principle should have this or that uh, access. And you, then you granularly dictate that per, per policy that you create. Now the permission model is now twofold. So now you can either opt in to use that, which is the default that's been there all the time, or you can use Azure role-based access control. So if you have access to the resource group as a contributor, well, then you can also have access to the queue with those permissions. So authorization now can be managed using RBAC for, for key vaults. And I really like that. It's not something I would use in all the scenarios uh, that it comes to mind, but I like to have this choice because in, in some cases, whatever user I'm signed in with or the application that is currently running under a specific identity might already have specific access and then I can delegate access to that identity directly, and it will then inherit this in the key vault as opposed to first specifying everything in RBAC and access control, and then modifying an access policy to kind of reflect the same thing to give them access. So that's a small tip. It's in preview. Uh, not sure when it's going to be released, but keep an eye on that. Uh, if you work with key vaults, it's pretty interesting. And then the final thing, again, around key vaults is something that is already in GA. This is generally available. And that's monitoring Azure Key Vaults with Azure Event Grid. And I wrote an article about this a while back as well that was pretty well received. It's pretty much a way to get notified of changes in your Azure Key Vault using the Azure Event Grid. So you can subscribe to, to different events that's happening. For example, your, your um, certificate is about to expire or a secret is about to expire, then 30 days ahead, you will get an email. Or a, in my case, it was an email, but it might be whatever because it's events, right? So you can subscribe to them and you can put them in a storage account. You can make an Azure function or a logic app or something else, take action on that event. For me, I just kind of went the simple way and I only had one thing. If my certificates or secrets or whatever I have is about to expire, drop me an email and I will take a look. And now, of course, when, when I did that, that was in preview, this is now GA. So now we can make this more robust and implement a, a better kind of life cycle across all of this. And with that, that was also my final tip for today. That is from the news pool of what comes out of Microsoft. So there's a lot of news, a lot of things to digest. And today we took some of the most interest, uh, interesting things we've seen in the last month. I feel that after 10 years, many of the updates now for Azure are not major new services, but they are more of a slight new changes, some additional capabilities, but often something that you sort of feel, well, wasn't this there before? Oh, it wasn't, now it's available, like the soft delete for Azure File Shares. So I'm happy that even something as boring as Azure Storage is getting new capabilities now, while also understanding it's quite mature and it's widely used already. So this was fun as always. Thank you for joining and until next time. All right. See you then.
Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.